Thank you for listening to Tahlequah First United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go online at tahlequahumc.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Luke Skywalker obviously had some father issues. And a whole bunch of, if you ever look at the whole Star Wars universe and the family dynamic that is in Star Wars, it's messed up. But not only that, if you look at Jesus' family, Jesus had some family issues as well. I remember the first time I remember watching this clip, I was a child. Now, now this movie was made before I was born, so I was probably five or six when my mom let me watch this movie. I never rem- I'll never forget feeling so broken that the bad guy was the good guy's father. And I wrestled with that and struggled with that. And it's interesting to see that even in movies we have family dynamics, and in the Bible itself there are some interesting family dynamics. Remember, we're, in the sec- we're just starting our second week of the Gospel of Mark sermon series, uh, The Gospel Awakens. And, and as we dive into uh, the readings this week, I hope that you're uh, staying on top of your readings. Uh, at this point, you should be through Mark chapter 4. Uh, so if you haven't caught up, you're only four chapters behind. Uh, that's an easy, quick read. Let me tell you, it, the Gospel of Mark reads really fast. It's almost something that you could do in one setting really easily. But I'm only asking to read about two chapters a week. So, you know, if you're behind, you only got to catch up by four chapters, which isn't too bad. But let's dive into this reading for today. It comes from Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 35. Jesus entered a house. A crowd gathered again, so it was impossible for him and his followers even to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. The legal experts came down from Jerusalem. Over and over they, had, they charged, he's possessed by Beelzebub. He throws out demons with the authority of the ruler of demons. When Jesus called them together, he spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan throw out Satan? A kingdom involved in a civil war will collapse, and a house torn apart by division will collapse. If Satan rebels against himself and is divided, then he can't endure. He's done for. No one gets into the house of a strong person and steals anything without first tying up the strong person. Only then can the house be burglarized. I assure you that the human beings will, begin, will be forgiven for everything, for all sins and insults of every kind. But whoever insults the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. The person is guilty of a sin with consequence that lasts forever. He said this because the legal experts were saying he is possessed by evil spirits. His mothers and brothers arrived. They stood outside and sent word to him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around him, and those sent to him said, Look, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, Look, Here are my mother, and here are my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Maybe maybe you have some family problems. We all do, let's be honest. Uh, No one has no family issues. It's just inevitable. 
And in our story today, we, we see Jesus, uh, he's doing what he does best. And, and I want you to understand, every time you read in the Gospel of Mark, when it says something is happening in the house, there's going to be a healing or teaching of some kind. In Mark's Gospel, that was kind of used as a literary kind of key in to like when you hear him say, Jesus entered the house, you knew something good was going to happen. It's kind of like when you saw Superman. Open up his shirt, you knew justice was going to happen. You got excited, and, and as you would be listening to the story told orally uh, back in the tradition, when you would hear, and he entered the house, you knew something good was going to happen. And in our story today, we notice that uh, something good does happen, but there's also a struggle. See, Jesus' family knew that he was special. That wasn't something that they hid from everybody. It, it was something that they knew. And they felt like what they were trying to do was trying to protect him from those legal authorities and, and those people around him. And, and, and so they felt like they should take control. Maybe send word, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. And, and maybe Jesus, maybe they thought that if they heard that his family was outside, that he would come outside and, and they would just take him away and, and not put him in a situation that might be a struggle. But Jesus knew what they were doing and, and he kind of called their bluff a little bit and said, um, he just sat down and had a meal. And he sat down around the table. And, and so the family did what they knew best. Hey, let's go get his mom. His mom will get him out of here. And it, and, and it was probably some cousins that showed up at first. And, and you know how that works in families. If, if the cousins can't get the person to do it, they'll go to the mom or grandma to, to try to get the, the family member out of trouble. And, and so they called out his mom to, to come and get him out of the house. And Jesus didn't answer he looked around the table and he did a small teaching of, uh, of being divided and that you have to, you know, you have to tie the strong man up and, and, and we'll get to that parable here in just a little bit. But I like how he ends this is that whoever's with me, that is my family. And I think as we think about that today, we, we have to think about how we treat our family members and, and not just our family members, those that are blood, by blood, but our church family members because how we treat our family matters. And I think far too often we forget about how important family is, and not just family, that, that people that we call mother, brother, sister, daughter, but those people that we call church family, that that's important. We all have family issues. Maybe you heard this story. Did you hear about the story about the family who wrote the obituary for their mother? This mother had passed away, and um, I want to read this to you. Kathleen was born March 19, 1938, to Joseph and Gertrude Shuck of Wasboro. She married Dennis at St. Anne's in Wasboro in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle, and moved to California. She, no, it gets better. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Shuck, she passed away on May 31st, 2018 in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina or Jay and they understand that this is this and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Obviously her fa her, her two children who were abandoned wrote this obituary. But if you dove into the story, you would find out that, that one of the relatives would actually share with the news that broke this story that those facts are true, but it completes an incomplete picture of her life. 
there's more to the story that the brother or the, the family member replied. It's not that simple. Yeah, she made the mistake 60 years ago, but who hadn't? And she regretted it over these years. Yes, she did. But then the, the family member added that she'd been living in a nursing home these past years, and she died with her sister by her side. And obviously she'd been forgiven. This website that, that produced the uh, death notice uh, actually went back and reviewed um, their policies and agreed that um, they're going to make sure that families are not so vindictive when they write obituaries. You know, sometimes families can be the most vile thing that we have around us, the most toxic thing, the thing that's not as helpful. I remember for me, when growing up, one of the things that was valuable to me was my church family. My family was broken. My mom was, was diagnosed with cancer and going through uh, radiation and chemo treatments at the same time, which pretty much just made her not very much of a mother because she was just wiped out with energy and had no ability really to be around people. And so she really couldn't be a mother to me. And then my father also was struggling with his, this is when his heart disease started to develop and was very kind of almost inactive to himself. So I had no mother or father and then the church came into my life. The church was my family. They were my brother, my mother, my sister, and my friend. Church was the one place I could come to and feel safe because I didn't have that at home. I saw my, my youth director as someone who I could talk to and lean on going through difficult struggles in my life because, you know, being a teenager is not an easy thing. And I needed the church family to surround me and love me and support me. If it wasn't for my church family, I wouldn't be here today. And I know that. Because I was faced with some difficult things in my life that, that had I chosen to be with my friends that I was around at that time, this wouldn't have ended pretty. And I probably wouldn't be here. Actually, I know that for a fact. Because some of those friends are in prison or in jail because they've made stupid decisions. And I would have been involved with that had I stayed with them. But had I not opened myself up to these church friends who, who loved and cared for me and fed me, you know, one of the greatest things you can ever do for someone is give them a simple meal. And I'll never forget after every Sunday how the, the pastor and his family would, on occasion, take me to lunch. It's probably one of the best meals I got all week. And that's what we're called to do as a church family. We're called to raise all these children up. I remember being a youth director and sitting there and, and, and a church member would come into me and say, I can't believe those parents didn't raise that child right. And this is where I got smart. Well, stupid maybe. But I looked at this person and said, you know, it's our responsibility to raise this child up, not just their parents. It takes a whole village to raise a child. I firmly believe that. Not only in my two children, and I'm, I'm thankful for all the people that have surrounded my children with love, but I know for me as a fact, it took a whole village to get me to graduate. It took me a whole village to help me go to college. It took a whole village to help me graduate college. It took a whole village to help me answer my call and, and to live into that call that God had placed on my heart. It took a whole village to say, yes, you can go to seminary. It took a whole village to say, yes, you can finish. It took a whole village to encourage me to go through ordination process because it's not easy. It took a whole village to say, yes, accept that first appointment. It took a whole village to say, yes, take going to Tahlequah. We still need to be raised. We're never quite finished. We're always learning. And that's why family is important. I think far too often we forget how important.
our church family is. And, and if we can take care of one another, genuinely take care of one another, not only do people want to be involved with that, but we're being Christ-like. And we're surrounding ourselves in love. This is not an easy story to listen to. You hear this story and you see Jesus sitting there with his friends and family and his family's on the outside of the house and, and the good teaching's going on the inside and, and you, you want their family just to go in the house. I mean, I, I find myself when I read the story, hey family, just go inside. You'll experience God's grace and love. Just go inside and, and, and you'll get to see what Jesus is really about. Just go inside and see how he handles those people who are not for Jesus because what's interesting about Jesus, and I think we all forget this, is that Jesus sat down with those people who didn't agree with him. And he welcomed them to the table. And he said, come and eat with me. Let's have a good discussion. And you know what's funny is if you listen to, if you watch how Jesus talks to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he never once really says they're wrong. And he never says that they're right. He just says, here's how I interpret scripture. Now, how do you? And they have this, 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 this conversation and, 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 you know, we could take something from that in this day and age. Because far too often we want to draw lines of division and say, it's my way or the highway. And we want to draw lines of division that say, you know, this is the way that it is when in all honesty it's about a conversation. And yes, in this story today, the, the, the religious leaders are calling Jesus out and calling him Satan. And, and that's a little hard to swallow. But, you know, sometimes we've all done it. We've all been the religious leaders in this story. We've called something that wasn't good, or we called something that was good, not good. And we've tried to call something out. And, and Jesus calls us out to the, to the real being. I love how Jesus lets them speak their peace and then he responds. He taught them. He spoke to them in a parable. Anytime, he, anytime Jesus speaks to you in a parable, you know it's going to be a learning lesson. How can Satan throw out Satan? The kingdom involved in civil war will collapse. I think that's a vital verse for us today. If we're fighting against each other, even though we're for the same goal and the same good, a divided house will collapse. We're called to be together. Jesus modeled that. He sat down with people who were not like him. He sat down with people who would have disagreed with him. I think we can learn from that, church. We can be united to share in the good news. We can be united to live together. Now, what about this unforgivable sin? I, I'll never forget when I would teach this class in college, when I would teach this as a college class, and we would get to this verse, and we'd ask, you know, we'd, we'd try to wrestle with what the unforgivable sin is. And, and when we would wrestle with it, the, what I would always throw out there is, what if the unforgivable sin is turning our back completely on God? What if that's what Jesus is really talking about here? Where's our focus? Where's our attention? Because you know what's funny is our, we can show what our attention is. We can show what our focus is. We can show uh, what's at our really hearts when we dive out and deep into ourselves and, and we can see where our focus and where our heart is. <laughs> and the legal experts, I love this, they, they continue to say he's possessed by an evil spirit. They were, just, they were just assured that Jesus was an evil spirit because he was pushing them. And anytime we become pushed, we get a little bit defensive. Anytime we get pushed by someone who's saying something different than us, we get a little scared. And instead of Jesus saying, well, I'm not obviously an evil spirit, he just calls for his family to, to come and sit down, and they didn't accept his invitation. Probably because it was too full. 
Did you ever think about that? That the reason why his mom and his brothers and sisters couldn't get in the house because the house was too full of other people? Well, let's chalk that one. Let's give his mom and his brothers and sisters the benefit of a doubt and say maybe that was the case. Maybe that's why his brothers and sisters couldn't come in. Maybe his cousins didn't come in because they were too afraid of what might actually happen or what they might actually see because they'd heard the stories of what, what Jesus was doing before. But his mom and brothers and sisters wanted to come in the house. But have you ever been in a house that was too full? Sometimes you just say, oh, oh, I'm going home. Maybe that's what it, let's just say that that's what his brothers and sisters did. And Jesus opens the door for the church family in this moment. When he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And looking all around him, he said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. And you know what's crazy about this? Is that some of those people were against him. Some of those people interpreted Scripture differently than him. Some of those people were not standing for Jesus. Some of those people were the people that were calling him the devil. But yet he still called them brothers and sisters. I think we can learn from that. I think we can learn to, to broaden our horizons and open ourselves up to how the Spirit may work with us and, and, and work with us together. See, the church doesn't operate by one person. The church operates as a family, as a collective, as we work together. And I hope and pray that it, as, as you read through this gospel that it shapes and changes your life because I know every time I open this gospel, and I've read this gospel more times than I can count, I love this gospel. This is my favorite gospel out of the four. Because it always, Jesus is a little bit in your face in this gospel. He's a little bit just right there and he, and he hits you in the right spot. And this week as I was reading the scripture and thinking about our world today, I can't, couldn't help but think, what would Jesus say to us today? I think he would ask us to say, who do we say our brother and our sisters are? Are they people that we just agree with and they like our sports teams, they wear the same colors of us? Or do we invite Sooners to the table? Or people from the SEC to the table? Do we invite Cub fans to the table? For me, that's a little bit harder to swallow, but yes, I, I try to. But I think when we realize and we open ourselves up to that spirit and we agree to work together as a church in spite of our differences... We'll be an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. A professor from northern Arizona, he, he drilled down what exactly makes us happy about friendships, you know, the, the things that make friendships work. He says the things that make friendships work, Dr. Demir said that the things that make friendships work and the things that make them most happy is doing simple things together. Doing simple things together can, can make things work, no matter where you're at on the spectrum. But looking at those little things, you know, one of the things I love about the church, our church, is the simple things that we do together. You know, I, I get tickled when I see our church willing to serve in the community and the world. You know, this last week we, we, made, we had a group of people that sat down and made 
packets that are going to Uganda today. We, we, we had a group of people that were willing to go to Tulsa to make an impact on Northeast Oklahoma today. We have a group of people that gather on Thursday, every Thursday, to make a meal to serve our community. We do these simple things together. And that's what brings us together as a community. That's what makes us a church. We do VBS together. This doesn't just happen. Tate doesn't just show up and just say, happen, and it happens. I've watched him. He tries. It takes a group of people. This is the first church I've been in where I watched youth put together the whole VBS set. Youth, thank you for that, for that, for that giving up your time. It takes people committed to the church to make it better. Not just me. I can wheel it all I want to. I can work 90 hours a week to make this thing better, and I won't get anywhere. I won't get anywhere unless I have my family with me. And so, church, let's do this together. If we're, if we're going to make this world a better place, if we're going to do the things that God is calling us to do, Let's be a family together. And I think our challenge this week is that last verse, verse 35. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. You want to know what it takes to live into the kingdom of God? You want to know what it takes to to learn about forgiveness? You want to know what it takes to learn what it means to make disciples? You got to get dirty. One of the biggest acts of forgiveness I ever learned was going on a youth force trip And I fell through the roof of this woman's house that we were working on. That wasn't the initial project. The initial project was to re-roof one part of her roof. And we had to re-roof the other. I fell through the roof and was standing in her kitchen. And she said, I'm so sorry that my roof was so bad. And I said, I'm so sorry I've given you a skylight. But we agreed to forgive each other. And she got a better roof because of it. And that's what it means to do God's will. It means to get dirty. It means to share our gifts and our graces, to be a family together. And so, church, I want to invite you in to be a family together and live into God's will this week. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to Tahlequah First Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. If you'd love to join us in person, we worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And you can find out more information about us by going online at tahlequahumc.org.